thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Sits and sieves, captains and commanders, you're tuned to the guard frequency. And as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 191 of the Best Damn Space Sim podcast ever, and was recorded on Friday, October 27th, and made available for download Tuesday, October 31st, over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Ostron. I'm Jeff. And I'm Tony. And in the audio booth this week is Henry. So, what do we have in store this week, Tony? Well, we're going to forego the Squawk Box this week so we can cover all the news from your favorite space sims, including everything we could scrape together from the Citizen Con for Star Citizen, and server problems and Halloween-themed goodies in Elite Dangerous. And finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show and head right on out to the flight deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, trigger screen, call the ball. Over the course of the week leading up to CitizenCon, the rest of the informational articles covering the new ship matrix were released. There's a good amount of information in each article, so we'll only touch on the changes that were either surprising or likely to cause some questions. Starting off with thrusters, TR ratings are gone. The devs considered that measurement horribly misleading because you had some examples of ships with the same TR rating of thruster but vastly different sizes but no real difference in speed. The TR rating will eventually come back, but for now you have to compare the number and types of thrusters on a ship to get an idea of its performance. Hard points have been completely redone. There are now specific hard points for guns, missiles, turrets, and utility items, and they are not interchangeable. Guns still have gimbaled and fixed points of specific size, but hard points with a size range are gone, and any ships with twin weapons have had them replaced with turrets. Missile racks are now a specific size and can accommodate missiles based on the size of the ordnance. So an S-4 missile rack can carry one S-4 missile, two S-2 missiles, or four S-1 missiles. Eventually, there will be rocket pods for large loads of dumpfire rockets as well. Dumpfire missiles have been removed. Utility hardpoints are specific to their items, so the coolant hardpoint will always have a coolant system in it, the computer slot will always have the computer in it, and so forth. Turrets receive the most overhaul. Turrets are now ship-specific and only come in manned versus unmanned varieties. The turrets will themselves have hardpoints dictating what can be mounted on them, discarding the size math that used to be in place. Having a turret operate without a player or NPC requires installing what they call an AI blade in the ship's computer system. Also, if a ship has a point defense turret, that simply means that it has a turret configured with an AI blade and weapons that are better at shooting down missiles and torpedoes rather than other ships. Finally, you have ship variants and modules. The difference has been officially defined. A variant means the ship's hull is physically different from one variant to the next. A module, on the other hand, slots into specific areas of the same hull. To pick the most obvious example, the 300 series has variants, where the Retaliator has modules. In the process of doing all that, they had to get rid of some marketing packages from bygone days. Battlefield upgrade kits are no longer a thing. 
Those who purchase them will instead be getting the appropriate module for a ship, along with any other items, like weapons, they would need to complete the conversion. Upgrade kits will not be offered going forward. Similarly, the so-called Masters of Flight versions of some ships that came out with 2.6 are being relabeled as special editions. This is, uh, this is some pretty big news, actually. Yeah. I was just thinking of uh, how the Hornet and stuff are, are configured, and, and, uh, or the Super Hornet that I have with its, uh, with its mounted turret guns and what it's going to look like from now on. And so that, this is significantly different than the game that we first started out looking at. Well, this completely like blows away my entire you know constellation complaint that I had from back in the day, where I was going to be able to upgrade my hardpoint and you know all that kind of yeah. stuff. I mean, this is this is it, it's it is markedly different. It, it's pretty much the exact opposite of what you were hoping for originally. Yeah, more or less, fortunately, yes. and it actually it very much mirrors the Elite Dangerous loadout, with the exception of the missile thing. Um, elite, you just—it's the missiles can go in any weapon hard points, but there are weapon hard points, and then there are a set of points that are specific modules, engines, sensors, armor, uh, so on and so forth, and then there's optional modules that you can put anything in: cargo bays, shield boosters, uh, shield uh, cells. I mean, uh, and then there's utility points, which were, are for sensors. So this kind of categorization of hard points almost exactly mirrors what Elite Dangerous does. The same with hulls, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. same with hulls. Because hulk. you have different versions of hulls, like the Asp and the Asp Scout, mm-hmm. um, and the Diamondback and Diamondback Explorer. So it's similar there, too. And then there's the Cutlasses. You have the base Cutlass, and you have the Police Cutlass. These are variants. These are not modules. Yeah. Right, yeah. so if you have a Cutlass Red, you're not pulling it out and making it a black. Right. You're stuck with the red. Yeah. There's that theory of convergent evolution, which is sometimes trotted out in science fiction to explain why every alien you ever meet has, you know, two arms and two legs and a head. Uh, this is the theory yep. of convergent evolution of space sims where, well, it turns out if we want to be able to manage all of the data flows and uh, keep uh, players' inventories at a reasonable level, it turns out we kind of have to have hard points that do this and modules that do that in order to make it actually feasible. Was that their explanation for this, or...? or? No, it's mine. I'm, we're, we're building the best damn space sim ever, so... The explanations were specific based on what was changing. So they had different reasons for everything. The definition of the variant versus module was basically a mix of, okay, this is what internally we've all decided the two terms mean, and now we're standardizing it. And then also the whole battlefield upgrade kit and masters of flight things was obviously an idea of yeah we thought this was a good idea when we did it but we've now moved in a completely different direction so it no longer applies like i remember at one point the battlefield upgrade kits were supposed to be something that would reappear from ship to ship to ship but it hasn't so far worked out that way and obviously now it never will as mentioned last week, CIG made it known that the new Pioneer ship would be debuting at CitizenCon for 850 smackaroonies. This was a non-war bond version, and the limited number they made available were long sold out by the time of this recording. The war bond version is $750, and there were 700 or so available at the time of this recording. 
The ship was introduced with a 5 plus minute CG video set up like a tech presentation from Apple or Tesla, the devs preferred comparison. In it, the head of Consolidated Outland of Mustang fame infamy presented the Pioneer as an answer to private colonization. The devs held a panel on the ship and its associated gameplay. Most of their visual efforts were apparently spent trying to make the ship look industrial and utilitarian without making it appear to be a flying brick. They were mostly successful, it seems. The ship looks like a cross between an oil tanker and a futuristic factory. It has four defensive turrets and an external landing pad, but most of the space is taken up by the manufacturing equipment and living space for the four to eight people that will be forming your budding outpost. It's also massive, 200 meters long and half that in width, and that's without its manufacturing arm extended. The Outpost gameplay took up most of the presentation, and it seems to be a completely new and unique game mechanic. In order to set up an outpost, you have to choose a plot of land, either in or outside of UEE space. If it's within UEE space, you have to pay to own that plot of land. The ownership can be individual or organization-based, and is transferable, though for a fee. They were less clear about how claiming land works in so-called wild space. The cost and value of said land is based on the resources and facilities around it. The example they gave was that a plot of land with a large mineral deposit on the moon of a planet with an orbital refinery would cost more than a similar plot with a large deposit of a mediocre mineral across the system from a refinery. They also noted that ownership doesn't guarantee anything. In UEE space, there are patrols that protect players' staked claims, but the patrols are realistic and in wild space, they're non-existent. If your claim is unguarded, others may be able to ransack or pillage your area unless you guard it, either personally or by proxy through hiring mercs. Apart from exploiting minerals, the outposts have the ability to support structures to do farming, drug production, and scientific research. It sounded very much like a ground-based science ship. However, the Pioneer doesn't have the ability to build all those modules out of the box. In gameplay, ironically reminiscent of No Man's Sky, you have to acquire the blueprints for the specialized modules separately before the Pioneer's manufacturing system can build them. If you don't grab them before you set out, you may end up flying back and forth buying blueprints and minerals for each new section. The other major gameplay mechanic the outposts tie into is info running, and it doesn't even require a pioneer. As we mentioned, the value of a land plot is based on the resources present, but finding those resources is a matter of scanning it. Speculation and so-called flipping of land plots is perfectly possible. If you purchase land prior to anyone doing a detailed scan on it, then perform the scans yourself and discover valuable resources, it may be possible to sell that plot at a profit given knowledge of the new resources. Ironically, I actually thought of you, Tony, when they were describing this particular gameplay mechanic. Sure. All right. I, I'm, I'm kind of confused here. Let's see. Hmm. I go down to the blueprint store. I buy a set of computerized blueprints. I put them in my computer and say, here, computer, learn these blueprints. Are you telling me that the computer forgets these blueprints once the blueprint is been produced? No, it's just that if you take off before giving your computer those blueprints then you're going to get there and tell the manufacturing computer, hey, please construct this big thing. And it's going to say, I don't know how to do that. The way it sounded, it was like that every time you go out or, you know, if you build a mining platform, you're always going to build a mining platform. If you build a, 
a drill, you're always going to build a drill. It made it sound like every time you're going out that if you don't load up, you're hosed. Yeah, and no, I think I think you can see how you uh, it might be interpreted that way, but I think it's more likely that the mechanic isn't going to be one and done, but more like your machine can only your ship can only hold X number of blueprints until you upgrade the main computer. So if you buy a stock Pioneer, you might be able to hold five blueprints in memory, and then if you upgrade the modules and systems, it can hold ten, and then you can build a wider variety of stuff at your at your new base. But it'll re- it'll require you to plan ahead to load your computer with the right things before you leave. I think that's probably more likely than a one-and-done situation. The devs actually made a point of saying that. They said if you're designing an outpost, you have to have an idea in advance of what its primary purpose is going to be so that you have the right modules to build. See, I didn't even listen to the live stream, and I already knew that was the answer. I mean, I'm like, you know, we're we're like we're symbiotic, man. That's how it is. But, but, But that's... My my, I have a bigger question. You ready for my bigger question? We always are. All right. Okay. Here we go. Where is this the is this the microtransaction model? Is this where we is this where we start seeing uh, the microtransactions really come into play? Because the almost infinite land, right? I mean, even even if there's only going to be you know ten systems at launch with a couple dozen planets total, that's a lot of land, and all of it is now up for sale. And number two. Because they're tradable, and CIG is going to take a cut of each trade, is this going to be where they have said, well, we really can't charge a subscription because we've already promised this game to everybody, but we need to make money off it somehow. And we've already sold everybody all the ships. They don't need to buy any more ships that's already that's already taken care of. Is this land system their new sort of rolling uh, maintenance money idea? Oh, my God, I hope not. One side note, which I don't think negates your point but they did say the cut taken on transfer of ownership only applies to land in ue space i don't know what percentage of the land that represents and it's obviously the safer land to own because there's the there's at least the possibility of ai npc police watching over your plot so it doesn't get ransacked but there will be in theory land that can be transferred from owner to owner without any sort of cut being taken out. However, they didn't say anything about whether you would have to or who you would pay for the initial plots of land that aren't in UEE space. Yeah, I strongly suspect that the mechanic of it will be if you expect the computer system, you know, the actual physical server backbone of the Star Citizen network, if you expect that system to recognize your your claim, even in wild space, there will be a fee involved. Uh, I, I, to, to define a plot that is capable of ownership, I imagine that's going to be where they have a, a, a fee attached of some kind. Because I, I'm one of the things I've been scratching my head about is how they're going to keep the servers running. Because they can't sell ships, they can't sell subscriptions, they can sell cosmetic items, I suppose, but a lot of people are getting those for free anyway with their packages. First of all, they've always said that there is going to be some way to cash in real money and get in-game money just as a straight conversion, although we don't know exactly what the conversion rate's going to be. They've also said they have to cap that, which they have to. Well, yeah, they do have to cap that, um, but it is a source of incoming cash. The other thing is that or they made it sound like buying the plot of land 
only gets you the information about that land, and if you're in UEE space, the NPCs will chase off people if they're not supposed to be there. But there's nothing that will prevent someone from just landing and setting up a place there and mining with a pioneer or without without buying the land. It's just that whoever does own the land or if it's not owned, whoever is the next person along. Are we sure about that? Because I can certainly envision a system where you can scan a planet, right? You can, you can take a, a ship and scan a planet and find out that it's 4% uranium or whatever. And then, but not be able to locate the individual pockets of ore until you've staked a claim or bought a plot or something like that. This is almost reminiscent of a game long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away, actually called Star Wars Galaxies, um, <laughs> uh, with the whole land purchase nice. and, and building of, uh, of uh, plots and, and mining resources. And, you know, it really smacks a lot of that. And if any of our listeners remember the fabled um, Star Wars galaxies and all that stuff. You might agree with me or it might not. But my memory is dim. I'm I, I'm immortal, so my memory is dim on that. <laughs> but my yeah, the the point here though is that they haven't. And I mean, this is not to say that it won't come up eventually. However, based on everything they said in the presentation, there are no artificial game restrictions to doing anything on any of these lands without owning them. So based on how they described it, and once again, this is just the description, so it could change, as can anything in this game. Right. You can just cold, get a pioneer, fly to a planet, land on it, scan it, set up an outpost, start mining resources and trading them away and not pay anyone a dime for the land that you're sitting on. The only risk to that is that if you're in UEE space, the NPC police are probably going to attack you. And regardless of whether you're in UEE space or not, other people can try to get to the same plot of land and do the exact same thing. Amontillado has pointed out in the chat that uh, they said, the quote, they said owning land won't stop folks from pulling resources out. Other folks, that is. That may be true, but it also doesn't say how those other folks knew where the resources were. I strongly suspect that there's going to be some sort of microtransaction involved in locating a discrete deposit of something cool to suck out. I think people would hate that so much that it won't happen. I can't uh, imagine. Because what's I, the point I, of having mining ships and scanners when anytime you're going to mine something, you're going to have to buy it? Asteroids. Asteroid mining. There's a difference when you start reducing things to ownership, when you start when you start drawing those kinds of borders and stuff. What's to stop me from dropping a pioneer down and going, I claim this for Spain, and saying that's for the whole planet? If I can defend it, I can keep everybody off. If I if, if I get and remember that the entire design key behind here is to allow players to affect, but not control economies. So if I land on wild space planet with a huge armada, and I keep everybody off. And I, I just take over the place and drop 60 pioneers on the place and start mining all the resources. That's a whole planet worth of land that, number one, players can't get to. And number two, CIG can't sell, assuming the microtransaction thing goes, uh, can't sell. 
So I, I can't see them. I can't see them just letting that happen. Well, they they are going to let it happen because in the in the in the even in the brief here, it said individuals or organizations. Can you imagine a, a large organization going to a planet and claiming the whole dang planet and being able to defend it? Yeah, because that's exactly what will happen. Keep in mind, the planets are realistically sized. A pioneer is two hundred meters. Right. What's the surface area of the Earth? Giant. And but let's but but hang on. Where do you have to go to transition to a planet surface? Orbit. Don't we have orbital insertion points and stuff like that now? Isn't that where you trigger the the the, sh- the shift change? Yeah, but that's anywhere. You don't have to transition from space to ground at posi- at specific points. If you want to land on a fully populated planet, there are landing zones, but that's only for places like Terra or Arc Corp that are completely populated. Yeah, didn't I, didn't I see them fly to some sort of gate or something during the presentation? That was a space station. No, no, no. It was like it was like six like six dots or something. Six little. Yeah, they were landing on a space station. That wasn't in. That wasn't on the planet. On the planet, they just took off from wherever, and they when they got to a different one, they just landed wherever they felt like. It. And that's the way it is in ED too. I can I can land when I, if I can land, I don't have an insertion point. I just land. I don't. I. I don't. I can't see them as having insertion points. Yeah, I like that. I mean, it much very much like ED. I, I mean, and eat. And I mean, this maybe it's apple. Maybe I'm comparing apples to oranges. But, uh, but no, the whole chat. The whole chat says Tony is right about the video or about the system. Yeah, it said Tony is right. Approaching Hurston says Amontillado. IMATCC says Tony is correct. LZ points have Q drive points. Says Rambuzz. Okay, but that's for populated planets. Okay. If it's a random, unpopulated area, what are they yeah. going to define the insertion points as? <laughs> you can still land everywhere. Don't make Tony more correct. <laughs> no, but my point is, my point is back to what we were talking about. For control purposes, it's my impression, at least at this point, and no one's explained the background tech to me, that in order to make the transition from orbit to simple, you have to go to a certain point. And if you have to go to a certain choke point, that's a choke point, which can be defended. I don't think that there, that's true in the in the, in the, in the wild populated okay. area. Well, yeah. not, in, not just wild space, but unpopulated planets in UEE space. I mean, it, it would make that, that, now you're talking about old school, this is the only way you can land on a planet thing. And, and uh, I don't. I think that's not what they're trying to achieve there. I, I get it if there's a mining, if there's a big mining town or you know a corporation like uh, what's that one place that's coming up? Arcor. Uh, yeah, well, Arc. We'll we'll see. We'll. I think. I mean. I think that we have to say we'll see. I think because it's not it's not entirely clear. But at least on a populated planet, they they have to go to their control point. Right, but populated planets you can't put outposts on anyway. If you're right about the specific insertion points, then yes, that's a major problem because organizations are going to be able to blockade an entire planet easily. I don't see them doing that, in which case they would need to have a big enough fleet to literally surround every orbit point of the planet and shoot anyone coming down. And I don't see any organization getting that big. Oh, I do. I certainly do. I mean, when you look at when you look at the scope of what Eve does, as far as organizations and the and the and the people they can put in the field for these battles and stuff, 
you would be a freaking amazed at how many people are are in certain organizations. I'm talking several thousand. There are several thousand people in those battles, but those battles all take place in a relatively small area, comparatively speaking. The only thing they have to do, the only thing they have to do is be able to catch you while you're on the ground mining stuff and then bomb the crap out of you. I mean, they don't, ha- they don't have to catch you as you land or as you take off. They could catch you on the ground while you're mining stuff. See, that's the thing that gets me. I don't think it'll be uh, more of a problem organizations building up areas that they've got so heavily defended nobody else can get at them. I think it's going to be easy to build organizations that can sweep through and just blow things up for other people. And that's going to leave so much room for just torturing other players. I don't even want to think about it. I, it bugs me that, it's, uh, that it would be so open to uh, destruction from somebody else. Something that you would build, you know what I mean? Yeah, that could be that could be a problem too. And I see that being far easier to build than an organization that could build it or you know sustain and defend a planet or a, a real city or something. We'll see. Well, I, I, I guarantee you this: Guard Frequency's corporate tower will be gorgeous, fantastic, beautiful. <laughs> be the and very, all the guards be the will be wearing tower. cardigans. It's right. going to be beautiful. No, <laughs> only only all the chief operating officers can wear cardigans. That's right. <laughs> that's great. That's right. When you when you make it up for management, it's called putting on the cardigan. That's right. Yep. That's it. Exactly. I like that. <laughs> In addition to the Pioneer and the new ship matrix, the other things shown off at CitizenCon related to two items. Early in the presentations, the co-branded Intel Optane SSD 900P was announced. The Optane is a solid-state hard drive. Internally, it relies on so-called 3D cross-point memory instead of NAND flash memory. Beyond that, the details get eye-wateringly technical, but basically the drive is hellaciously fast. Unfortunately, you pay for that speed. Two sizes are currently available, 280 and 480 gigabytes. They retail for $389 and $599, respectively, which makes them about four times as expensive as conventional SSDs. Most tech experts say that these drives, at least for the moment, should only be considered if price is no object or if you absolutely must have the bleeding-edge tech in your rig. The co-branding kicks in because if you purchase one of these drives, you get a limited-edition Sabre Raven. The Raven variant is completely different fuselage design compared to a standard Sabre with a diamond-shaped look and black and silver skin. It also has two integrated EMP generators similar to the one in the Avenger Warlock. When on sale, the Sabre usually retails for $170 and its variants go up for $185. So if you believe that the ships actually have monetary value, that's not a bad deal, particularly if you're grabbing the 280GB drive. The final presentation of the con focused on a few things that are supposedly coming beyond 3.0. They gave a live demo of a slightly revamped and very expanded Area 18. In the video, one of the devs walked an avatar out of Area 18 onto a landing pad where a terrapin and the redone Aurora sat. Getting into the Aurora, they took off and flew around, showing off the Arc Corp planet, fully procedurally rendered as a city planet. The look was reminiscent of Blade Runner, minus the rain and with some actual sunlight. They flew over a decent amount of the planet and pointed out Area 17, which will eventually be another landing zone on Arc Corp. Then they went from ground to space, showing the transition of the planetary graphics as they went, briefly landed on a large orbital space station, then Quantum drove over to Stanton. Stanton was more of a strip-mined wasteland than Planetary City. It did feature the first non-sandworm fauna we've seen in Star Citizen, creatures that resembled a cross between facehuggers and jellyfish that seemed to float in the air. What their disposition or use is in the game is yet to be seen. 
I'll tell you what, this, fl- the shots flying over the city are some of the coolest things I've seen. I was looking at it, I'm thinking, wow, it looks so kind of redundant a little bit, seeing a lot of the same buildings. But then every time I'd think that, I'd look off in the distance somewhere and see something unique. It was great. Out on the horizon, I saw this puff of smoke that was like completely unexpected just in the distance and this city that was just higher than the rest of it where there was obviously you know, something different going on on the ground than what uh, was directly under me. I thought that was cool. I hadn't seen something like that um, in procedural generated uh, planets yet. Like even in uh, that game which shall not be named for Jeff No Man's Sky, the cities are so spar- uh! sparsely populated. Even though they do have small settlements, they're so sparsely populated, it's not really a lot of fun to fly around. This has me excited, looking at this city planet. Talk about those hard drives. Because I, I worry that the time to buy hardware for Star Citizen isn't yet. Yeah. Like, I totally bought an Alienware laptop three years ago, four years ago, for Star Citizen, that I can't play Star Citizen on very well now. You know, I had to buy a new computer again, yeah. and it's I'm still waiting. So I don't want to buy a hard drive just because in two years... Which, let's be real, I'm going to be playing with Star Citizen in two years, and, you know, I want it to run good when it's ready. And I think you got to wait until it's ready. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. I, I can tell you from the tech side of things, which, uh, you know, is my field, that these hard drives are cool. They're very, very cool. And the technology is fascinating. But I would rather use Enterprise class uh, SSDs in my, in my game rig than purchase one of these and just because I'll get uh, a longevity and bang uh, bang for the buck and those and really the speed you're not going to know uh, in something like Star Citizen you're really not going to notice that much difference in the in the access of, uh, of the hard drive my caveat is, is except in first person shooting where you know milli milliseconds are you know he who shoots pulls the trigger first wins uh, kind of uh, scenarios but the rest of it flying and and you know that kind of stuff. You're really not gonna. You're not gonna notice much difference between this and a and a really good either either a Western Digital Scorpion or or Seagate Blue or something like that or even Enterprise class SSDs. Um, I use the Enterprise class because um, they're rated to last a lot longer than even the you know consumer drive. I think you're right in a lot of instances there, except for where procedural planets are uh, involved. Because once you're flying on planet, all that data is going to be like streaming in, right? I mean, that's going to be a lot of hard drive activity. Once you're in space, I don't think it'd be so much. Yes, but we're talking about a solid state. There's no hard drive activity. Oh, right, right. This being a faster solid state drive, you're saying it's not faster enough to make a difference? Yeah. I get what you mean now. Cool. Now, see, see, uh, 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 Ken Shadow wants to argue with you, Jeff, but he's not here. Yeah, if he was here, he could explain what that DDDX pointer tech that Intel's making does. Yeah, see, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a Ken Shadow voice. I'm going to do a Ken Shadow voice here and goes, um, um, Jeff, Jeff, uh, three-point cross drives are better than enterprise drives and endurance, uh, and faster. So yeah, okay. If you say so. Well, I I, I, did, I did a little reading on this, and I think it, it, let's talk about what you mean by endurance. This is new technology. It's a maiden voyage. There's going to be design issues. There's going to be quality control issues. It's a brand new thing. So that's sometimes it's a little risky to be the early adopter. The drive's design, though, is supposed to last for longer than the number of write rewrite cycles from a traditional SSD. So the theory would be that if you buy one of these and it works properly right out of the gate, it will actually last longer than your typical SSD would. Statistically speaking, the the mean time between failure um, is longer for the new ones. But Jeff's point is that 
and this dovetails nicely with Henry, don't buy one yet. Number one, the game isn't going to be out until who knows when, not in its final form. And Jeff's point is, the Enterprise stuff is probably a better bang for the buck now. Let them get a couple generations in and let people evaluate the technology in real-world environments. Unless you just have to have the ship. Yeah, unless you have to have the ship. Although, again, Star Citizen or CIG, unfortunately, has a track record of offering one-time-only exclusive items that are only purchasable a specific way that are then available for everyone as long as you wait a year and a half or so. <laughs> yeah, where's my where's my uh, where's my uh, Star Citizen Hodas? Yeah, well, well that's uh, pretty... that's, I think that's a little different. Thing, but I think Vandal Scythe <laughs> is a good is a good uh, good model yeah, on that the one. Vandal Scythe, the Glaive. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot. There there are several examples of what you're pointing out there. That's true. The biggest game news from Elite this week was that for a little bit there was no game. The servers went and took a little unauthorized vacation time last Monday, the day before we released the show. Because this is such a rare event, we've decided to recreate the entire crisis for you here on the show. We open on an interior scene, your mom's basement, or wherever you play this game. We zoom in on a desperate elite player, probably eating Cheetos and surfing a third-party website to maximize profit on a space trucker run of Fromage del Jacques. Then, without warning... 1604 BST. Initial server issues. Caching error. Dear God. And then... 1750 BST. Fixed original issue with errors logging in. But just when you think it's safe. 1750 BST. Further diagnostics required. Fixed to previous issue highlighted further issues. Oh my God. Issues. What could that mean? Only one thing. 1859 BST. Low-level server corruption fixed. Remaining players able to get back into game. Oh, really? How long will that last? 2001 BST. Server team still detecting issues. Working toward a fix currently. We'll continue to update with new information as we have it. Just when you think it's all over. 2115 BST. Servers are returning to normal. It is. And scene. Woohoo! What a roller coaster! Ha <laughs> oh. And in other Elite news, there was no Gadget of the Week last week. Seems that Frontier listens to the show and has decided to replace a slow-moving process with a non-moving process. The community goals this week are a bit of a Halloween-inspired, light-hearted fun, and we here at The Guard do appreciate that it is a game. Patterson Vision Station in system LHS2094 is requiring loads of apples, beer, and costumes. Optionally, you could consign pilots attempting to block those deliverables to violent death in the coldness of the deep black. So, commanders, fill up your holds with fruits and veggies, beer and clothing at your nearest commodities sales board, and trick or treat your way to fame and or glory. In fiction, former President Jasmia Halsley issued a statement that it was so nice to see all the big powers being such good neighbors again. What with the Thargoids appearing 300 light years away and not really doing much? So, when is somebody going to lose a space station? So what that statement or that question means, Jeff, is uh, we're waiting for the Thargoids to actually start making an impact on the stations and the economy and stuff. So that's not moving forward, but they're doing this trick-or-treat thing, I think was the point of that. Am I right, guys? Oh, well, I wrote the copy, and I just want something to blow up. I mean, I, yeah, I don't want it to be—I don't want it to be any more complicated than that. I'm waiting for something to explode. That's really—I don't think that's too much to ask. I was gonna say I'm this really... is like the third or fourth week in a row where you've been like, 
please blow up a space station. I, well, I mean, I don't want to seem like I'm sort of like praying for the death, the death of, uh, of thousands of innocent virtual people, but we've been waiting for the return of the Thargoids for a long time. And while they are wrecking ships out in the void, I have personally wrecked many, many thousands of ships. So I don't, I feel like at this point, I'm more of a scourge on the galaxy than the ancient enemy of humanity is right now. I don't think that's His right. His head fits in that little room. <laughs> yeah, I know. Here I am, the scourge of, of humanity, sitting here in my, my Star Trek uh, uh, slippers uh, and, 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 and track pants, okay? I mean, I'm not the scourge of the galaxy. You don't have your cardigan on. <laughs> I don't have my cardigan on. I have to go get, I'd have to go get my cardigan. Uh, then I'd feel more like a scourge. But, I mean, but uh, honestly... I, we were promised a narrative. I'm sure one's coming, but I still, at this point, I'm seriously questioning Frontier's model of the narrative reveal, waiting for the commanders to find the things and then moving the plot point forward based on those discoveries. I'd like to see them take a little more active role. I don't know, man. I'm having a ball fl- fighting uh, Thargoids right now. I've switched to a combat ship, which I've never done. I've got a, a federal... The dropship, the federal. I'm actually flying a dropship, and I'm loving it. It's fast. It's maneuverable. And I, I had one of those transferred down to Maya. I went and built it with all the Thargoid parts. I'm really having fun with the Thargoid thing. Even it coming out as news reports of things that are happening to other people all around the galaxy. And then I'll be flying to a station in that area and have a non-human signal source to drop out and check for escape pods. That's cool. That's been a lot of fun. I, I will say this, though. I've been spending so much time doing those Palin missions. I don't know if I'm going to take time to do the community goals for trick-or-treating. Yeah, the Palin missions are fantastic. Yeah. So the whole Thargoid thing and then the Palin missions giving us a way to make quick money in the area is just a lot of fun for me. I'm having a ball with it. I'm just wondering why they can't do that and blow something up. I would like both. Perhaps I'm spoiled. This is this is possible. But, I mean, I would like to, do, I would like to have both. Well, I updated my client the other day. How's that? That's good. That's good. You should do a Palin mission. They're fun. The, and and they're, they're easy money. You landed... Oh, uh, you landed I, up I, I am so far out somewhere, I, I don't even remember where I I, I remember me logging off on the planet surface of some... You were doing Guardian stuff. You are doing stuff yeah. way out there in the Guardian stuff. Yeah, you have to come back to the bubble. Well, no, actually not the bubble, to the Pleiades. Landed up city in orbital. They give you a mission. Minimum's like 4 million credits. It goes up to like 23 or 27. You just got to go fly to a to a, a dead alien spot, pick up some barrels of alien goo, drive it back to to either Obsidian or one of the two stations that are nearby. That's it. Easy money. Easy. easy it's money. easy money, but I like I said, I stop at every hu- non-human signal source if I have cargo space in case there are cargo pods. Yeah. So there's a whole lot of gameplay between where you take off, getting the mission, to where you go to pick up. Especially if you don't always go to the same site. There are what like a hundred yeah, and some a lot. alien sites now. So I've been going to different ones in the local area and just getting a like a, getting to see um, different sites and how you know there's they're not all the same. There's there's subtle differences on a few different styles. It's cool. See, I've I've staked out a plot, uh, a particular planet. It's now mine. I've planted the flag on a particular on a particular site, and I just go back and forth. I just shuttle. I just shuttle back and forth between them. I've I've, I've claimed it for Spain, and it's mine now. That's that's how I'm doing it. But now it's time for news we didn't use. Around the Verse featured part two of the overview about the reworked in-game armor sets. 
The Imperial Cutter gets a snazzy neon paint job, and you can buy that jack-o'-lantern bobblehead you've always wanted over at the Frontier Store. Another release from CIG was a dictionary and description of development of the Xi'an language. All of you xenolinguists should check out the associated videos. Now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendly! So let's just be friendly! Some say he forgot to pay his bill for the most recent exorcism, so as a result, they've repossessed his house. But all he knows he's called the Shiv, and he'll put together this week's feedback. A recap of last week's community questions. In Star Citizen, we asked... Is the new information about the ships helpful and informative, or is it all coming up too late to matter to you? Really dangerous community question. Still enjoying that gadget of the week? Have enough room in your storage for all the new toys? And the guard frequency community question. Lay it on us. Don't hold back. Are we betraying a sacred trust? Is a format change long overdue? Want to make sure the door hits us on the way out? As happens when we have a ton of feedback, we had to edit and or remove some feedback in the interests of time. We tried to at least mention feedback we received. We apologize if someone was omitted or misrepresented. And, of course, our first feedback is from Ken from Chicago, and he writes in and says the trailer was truly fantastic, great job, and all involved. It's your show. I suggested months ago that you consider stopping the show or cutting back the frequency for fear of burning out, a la Stoked. The show is a labor of love and should be fun, if you're not enjoying it, then of course you should change or stop. If listeners don't like it, nothing is stopping them from doing their own show. Meanwhile, in the words of Mama Cass, make your own kind of music. Pretz writes in and says, As a longtime listener of over two years and a recent patron subscriber, I am very excited to see a format change in the direction of more coverage for Elite Dangerous. Over the years, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and YouTube videos covering Star Citizen and Elite Dangerous. What I've discovered is that everyone generally reports on the same recent game news or recent in-game events. But what kept me coming back to this podcast week after week and made it stand out was the personalities of the presenters and the way the news was discussed in an organized way between folks who are passionate about the games they love, warts and all. Keep being yourselves and true to what you love in gaming, and I will continue to support this podcast no matter if it's focused towards ED or SC. Thanks for all your work. I look forward to this podcast every week. Can't wait to see what happens with the new format and refocus of content. Amontillado writes in and says, Star Citizen, I'm finding the new info on the ship matrix interesting and well presented. I'm very much looking forward to having an update and more meaningful comparisons of ships and their capabilities. While I would have liked to have had this much earlier, it's definitely not too late to matter. Guard Frequency. I'm disappointed. Guard Frequency was the show that got me into listening to podcasts in the first place. It was a show that featured news, insight, and opinion about Star Citizen. Production values were good, the bits were entertaining, and the speakers sounded like reasonable adults that I could enjoy listening to. Also, importantly to me, Guard Frequency was the rare Star Citizen podcast that kept its language clean. While I wasn't a fan of the 2.0 change in regards to my own listening pleasure, I understood the desire on your part to freshen things up while trying to stave off the burnout. Repeated delays and already covered material test anyone's endurance. I'd rather have you talking about Star Citizen part-time than frustrated and tired and not talking about it at all. With the format change to 3.0, where Elite Dangerous is the focus of the show and Star Citizen is only tangentially mentioned, I'll be going my own way. 
Star Citizen is my thing, and I have no interest in Elite Dangerous. You folks, of course, are under no obligation to us. This is supposed to be fun and rewarding for you, and you ought to do what makes it that, or not do it at all. Cheers, best wishes, and maybe someday I'll see you in the verse. And it should be noted that we received feedback from Bob Dobelina, Arcadius, and Galen Rick Lotherin that essentially echoed Amontillado's feelings on the matter. Cyril writes in and says, I may have to take another look at Elite Dangerous, again with the format change. With this change, the last of the SC podcasts I have on my feed will become more or less done. I might actually have to read things on the RSI site. Sean Newboy writes, Intro commercial uses one of my favorite pieces of music. Please don't let Star Citizen go to the Star Trek school of external ship damage causing explosions on the bridge control systems. The new information just confirms what I expected. Wonderful job, everyone. Kel3770 says, I backed Star Citizen long enough back that I got LTI on my Hornet, and I'm a patient person, so I'm just on hold with that game, but I've put hundreds of hours into Elite Dangerous, and it's my go-to game now. I'm happy to see the format change, and I think it'll be good for the show in the long run. Couple of questions. Are you planning on creating a search and rescue squadron in Elite Dangerous? If so, how will you be teaming up with the Fuel Rats who already fill that role? My other question is, are you going to limit access to your squadron if you create one to Patreon backers, or will there be other avenues to join? Great show, and I look forward to many more episodes. This podcast is my favorite. P.S. Check out the desktop app, Desk Pins. I think it deserves a mention on this podcast because it's great for those long trips to Hutton Orbital. Uh, we'll take a quick break from reading feedback to answer a couple of these questions here. Yes, we're going to have a squadron. Yes, it will do search and rescue, but also do other things. We're reevaluating the whole Patreon thing to join because it doesn't make a lot of sense anymore to do that, especially with the next year's changes and having the squadrons thing and having community built goals. A wider net is better for us. So we're kind of leaning towards, I think, making that change to a more open enrollment. But yeah, no, these are these are all things that we're discussing and we'll probably have announcements uh, in more detail when we relaunch the show come December-ish. Elwook wrote in and said, As far as the ship info, I'll take it. Not many things come quickly from CIG. Didn't expect the ship matrix to either, but perhaps they're in a better situation to lock down stats than before. Is it true that the new site will tie into the CIG database and update live? As for the format change of the show, I look on with apprehension. I don't play Elite, so I hope I can relate, but it doesn't look like Star Citizen will have the kind of content you're looking for until 3.2 or higher. I'll stick with you guys as long as I can connect with the show. Please don't purge Star Citizen altogether. Rex Gray writes in, Been listening in the background for a while, but had to comment on the format change. I think it sounds great. I was excited to hear Tony explain the plans for the new format and ED Focus. I hope you all are able to have a lot of fun with it. I don't get to play ED as much as I'd like, so I'll just have to listen to you play it. With regards to the information from CIG, it's really too late for me. I backed way back around the Kickstarter days, and I've stopped listening. I decided a while ago that anything I put in was a sunk cost, and I'll just wait to see if I get anything out of it. Keep up the good work, and see you on the other side. Martin Restall writes in and says, With the possible changing of ship stats, melting ships is not always a favorable option. If you have a physical reward package, not only do you lose the rewards, but you have to rebuy Squadron 42 at a new higher price. Dare I mention downgrade system? Maybe not. Anyway, looking forward to see how the new format goes. See you in the bubble. 
Air's Musine writes in and says, I started listening to Guard Frequency around episode 120 because, as a Star Citizen skeptic, I wanted to better understand the opinion of those who supported the game. I ended up listening to every show since because the Guard Frequency team are so passionate and interesting. I'm an Elite Dangerous player and a D&D fan, so I'm super excited about the new format and the new podcast. Kaiser Solo writes in and says, Not really happy about this, but I understand. But I do think you'll have to revamp your format back once 3.0 lands. And we are on the cusp of it. Angelaeus writes, Outtakes are awesome. New resubscriber here. So uh, when are you going to be adding Eve? I think the change is coming at a perfect time. I'm just starting to tune in, and I like the broad approaches. Focus on a couple of games, but touch on everything space sim. Would keep me interested for sure, even though I don't play Star Citizen or Elite Dangerous. Ha, <laughs> I love the way you ended this one. Perfect comment to drop the mic on. Was that the, uh, what was the, was it the blooper he's talking about? What was the blooper that, I think it was Henry. Yeah, that was. It was Henry saying. Yep. The, probably I say awesome things many times. It, it was the one where he said <laughs> he was going on. He's like, I'm just going to shut up now and let the show go on. Yeah. Or something like that. <laughs> Johnny Blondini writes in and says, Hi guys, been with you since episode one. I am gutted to hear about the change to the format. I hate change. Then again, I got over the first format change and crew to love the show ever better than before. Perhaps this new format will be even better. Is that even possible? Anyhow, another great show, lads, and I'll be with you to the end. So say us all. So say we all. Nimrod77 says, Star Citizen, the stats update page is fraught with danger. Oh, man, I love that phrase. Many of the comments on those pages are pretty poorly worded. This is CIG loading the pistol to put against their foot again. It really concerns me that there are too many cooks when it comes to ship stats, rolls, weapons, etc. Guard frequency, I'm going to echo Amontillado's sentiments, read the format change. Akrosi wrote in and said, Star Citizen, the new ship information is super interesting. I've only backed with an Aurora LN, so the changes for some of the ships don't affect my pledge, but I feel for those who are more directly affected. Fortunately, we can melt at will, so switching to a different ship is relatively painless. Elite Dangerous, I'm enjoying the Thargoid storyline thus far, though appreciate some feel it's bland. I'm remaining non-aggressive, so have no trouble fitting limpets and scanners to my science ship as they are not restricted like the AX weapons. Guard Frequency Guard Freak is my go-to source for Star Citizen news and information and is largely to blame for my backing in Alpha, so I will be a little disappointed to have less news from you. That said, I completely understand wanting to shift the format and support you all the way. I'll still be listening every week for those nuggets of Star Citizen news, and more elite content is a nice surprise as it's my top played space sim to date. Stephen Hunter UK writes, My feedback on the format change. Changing to Elite Dangerous, a far more complete game is the right call. I've got the role-playing game myself, and wondered if any of your listeners would be up for a forum-based game. I need a GM for one thing. Wow. Okay, so tons of really good feedback. We appreciate all the uh, all the support and and understand, like I said, you know, this is not out of left field. I hope. I hope it's not completely out of left field, but we understand if if uh, if Star Citizen is your bag, and we're going to do less of it. We're not leaving it. We're still going to lead off the show with our flight deck, and so when there is news, we will cover it. But we're just not going to require our staff, which is getting changed, to fill that flight deck segment with with uh, stuff that we just kind of have to, you know, force ourselves to talk about. And that's not even force ourselves to talk about. I'm blabbering. Anyway, we're still going to cover it, just not as much. Guard Frequency is a space simulation podcast. I mean... We, we all talk about Star Citizen and, and Elite Dangerous, and 
But, you know, tomorrow or next week or next month, there could be some brand new space sim that looks awesome and coming down the pike and gets a lot of hype and stuff. And who knows? We might be adding that news in there as well. Uh, you know, we, and we've covered a bunch of them. And when those other games hit milestones, like, you know, Infinity Battlescape, Descent Underground, when if there's news and milestones that come out that are actually, you know, that's that... I think the threshold will be if it if we think our listeners would react somehow to it, like go do something about it. I think that's kind of like our what I what I see as our threshold is. Oh, I better download that patch, or I better go check that website for more information, or that sounds like a forum thread that I want to get abused on. Something like that. I, I think that would sort of be our new threshold for for where that's going to be. But there were some questions in here that I was trying to mark as we went through. We'll start with Stephen Hunter UK and go backwards. Uh, that's a fantastic idea. We should try to figure out if our listeners want to, you know, do a, a, a get together, kind of a matchmaking service for their own RPG games. I'd play it. I think it'd be fun. Yeah, let me let me let, let, I'll, I'll put that in the things to think about Hopper uh, as we take our little month break here to uh, to work on restructuring our Patreon service and what we what we're going to do to sort of gather players together uh, in the game. So. Yeah, that's an excellent suggestion. What else do we have in here? Um, is it possible that our new short show format will be better? God, I hope so. Johnny Blondini. Uh, I think I think it could be. Um, let's see. When are we adding Eve's sticky outy tongue face? Angelaeus? <laughs> Jeff? Jeff, you want to cover that? Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> there we go. So there, there's, there's the answer there. I guess that's probably why you had a sticky outy tongue face on that, I guess. If people have questions or feedback or suggestions or comments, or the channels are still open. We're not going anywhere. Um, we're just not going to have a show until probably December 5th, it looks like. Uh, first week of December. Mostly because we'll take a few weeks to redo stuff, and then Thanksgiving hits and nobody will be around. And then uh, so we'll come back at the, probably the first week of December with the new format. And it'll be uh, start with Flight Deck and then go to some in-universe stuff for elite close it out with feedback uh and uh go from there our random winners of the week are divorced pop no specific community question but that doesn't mean we don't want to hear from you no matter what your thoughts let us know here's how you can get in touch with us why not leave us a comment on this show's post over at guardfrequency.com or hit us up on twitter at guardfreak and leave a comment and like us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash guardfreak you can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 191 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 192 on December 5th, so be sure to keep an ear out for our shows over at GuardFrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, then you should come over and join us at 10 p.m. Central as we record Guard Frequency Live over on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv forward slash guardfreak. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. We're going to revamp our Patreon subscriptions, but uh, keep an eye on that page. If you are continuing to subscribe, we thank you so much for continuing to support us, and we hope you enjoy the new format, and we hope we enjoy making the new format. So please consider supporting us, because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. 
You will find us over at discord.guardfrequency.com. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek, from the TV series, the MMOs, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Our thanks go out to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Charlton Edwards, our staff writer, Jace Pentad, and of course, our audio engineer, Mikey. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and a special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty low. Reduce thrust. Captain 330, Carol 15. Squawk 7700. Stay on the curve. Hey, no, no cat. No cat in production. Thank you. Brought to you by Intel. Yes, and I have to get rid of the cat now. Hang on. He totally <laughs> failed at cat-proofing that room. Brought to you by Intel. Uh, uh, Montiato on Twitch says, where's Ken Shadow's slacker? Montiato, you know where he is. You saw him earlier. Brought to you by Intel. Practically, uh, particularly if you're grabbing the... Particularly if you're grabbing the 200... Particularly if you're grabbing the 280 gig. Uh, All right. Brought to you by Intel. And feedback in closing in three, two. Oh, God. (laughs) I just read this. Okay. Some say he forgot to pay his bill for the most recent exorcism. So as a result, they've repossessed his house. But all he knows he's called the Shiv and he'll put together this week's feedback. That was poor. That was well done. Yeah. <laughs> that was just terrible. Are you planning on creating a search and rescue squadron in Elite Dangerous? If so, how will you be teaming up with the fuel rats who are already full that... Oh. Brought to you by Intel. Are you... A pl- couple of... Ooh. Maris... Mm. Maris Musing. So many new people writing in. We don't know how to pronounce your names. Maris Musing, you think? Yeah, that's what I'd go with. All right, we'll go with that. Brought to you by Intel.